Yes, we are here again. God bless you. This is another day that the Lord has made, and we are excited and exceedingly glad in it. We can lift our hearts, our voices, amen, to this day, this wonderful day. Can you believe it? December, the 12th mile of this year, amen. The 12th month, the 12th mile of this year. We have made 12 miles this year. I'm excited today because I am in the studio, but doubly excited because I have my son with me today. Gerald is with me in the studio, and that's uh, always a good thing. Uh, we're excited because God is good, God is great, and he's greatly to be praised. The last time he was here, we had an exciting time. We had no real format. Um, but we do want to discuss things that are relevant and real. And I believe a real candid uh, conversation uh, with your son uh, is always important. Uh, and the last time that he was here, he encouraged me so. Uh, I got so excited because the conversation went in a, in a direction that neither one of us could have planned, but I was glad that it went that way. Um, overly excited, amen, about the fact that we're here. We're here at Kissimmee, K-I-S-I-M-E dot com. My name is Dr. Gerald Johnson, and I am with Gerald Johnson the second. We call the number two. We didn't like Junior, so we, we said the second. Um, so I affectionately refer to him as number two, and I, I truly thank God uh, for him and who he is and the man that he's become. Uh, I thank God that I am so very proud of him and I say it all the time, uh, uh, that is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus. And just also excited about this year of giving and I'm, I'm, I'm prayerful that um, yesterday was a day of giving, amen, that you found some way to, to give back and for us, it's not just one day, it's every day, a day of giving, amen. And the first giving is giving back ourselves to the Lord, giving back ourselves to the Lord, presenting ourselves, amen, as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Uh, we have some social distancing here, amen. We are meeting all the CDC regulations, praise God. I'm excited about where we are and what's going on. Uh, as of yesterday, I remember sharing that it's opportunity, it's opportunity, it's opportunity, it's opportunity, and it, you define what that means in your life. In your personal life, look for opportunity. And the collective lives of your hour, your families, let's look for opportunity. In the lives collectively, in the body of Christ, Corporately, let's look for opportunity because in these last and evil days, God is not shut down. God is not stopped bless, stop blessing. He's constantly, constantly, praise God, presenting opportunity. So we thank God for the opportunity today. Thank God for the opportunity of just breathing another breath of life. Praise God, because we know that 
the respiratory system is attacked uh, along with other systems that makes up this natural anatomy, this body, praise God, in order for it to function at its supreme optimal level. Hallelujah. We've got to do some things. So I've heard about vitamin C. I've heard about your vitamins. I've heard about your sleep. Um, and definitely we all have heard about the masks. Wear your masks. I was in the bank on yesterday and I looked to my right and there was a gentleman with no mask. I looked to my left. Everybody else had on masks. I looked to my right. Everybody else had on masks. I had on a mask, but he had no mask. And I really couldn't understand that. And as I sat, as I stood there online and pondered, I said, well, he's made his choice and he chose not to wear a mask. Uh, so when we choose not to wear a mask, we're not really being respective of our brothers and our sisters. We're not being conscious of our surroundings. Mm. I'm not talking about as it relates to the law, the order, the CDC regs. What I'm talking about is human decency and respect of mankind one to another. And so I kind of smiled and, uh, but the bank, they did serve it. You know, they did serve it. He didn't have the mask pulled down. That's the other thing. I don't know, I got, I got stuck on mask here, but you know, <laughs> you got your mask on, but your mask is under your nose. Um, so what is that? When partially the mask is to cover here and here to protect you from inhaling, breathing in microscopic germs that may be related to the virus. And so common sense, wear your mask. Common sense, wash your hands frequently during the day. And those are basic things that were presented to us. But let me land the plan about the mask. He didn't have one beneath his nose, didn't have one under his chin, didn't have one in his hand, didn't have one in his pocket. And he just had that look, you know, that look, that look of self-centered, that look of self-serving, that look of I am the world, I am it. He had that look, praise God. I'll let you decide whatever ethnicity that you think he may have been, because I'm not going to find that, because we stay in the middle of the road of issues. So, but I'm, 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 I'm thankful about being able to be out, hallelujah, and be able to uh, decide, make choices, because this is the United States of America. Before I step on and step off, um, how do you feel about the mask? I think it's appropriate protocol. I mean, this isn't the first airborne virus that was highly contagious, but in, in most everyone's lifetime, this has been the first global pandemic. So, I mean, I think it's, it's altered our sense of, of calm and our sense of complacency. And as the government and all of the health organizations attempt to 
solve the problem. I think the very least we can do and should be happy to do is just abide by the safety protocols set in place. Um, I mean, I'm happy that washing hands is now <laughs> something that something that people value. Um, I think that goes a long way in and of itself. But um, the mask, it's a, it's a minor encumbrance. However, I think that the value of it for for the macro issue is is very important. And then if you take a moment to get outside of your own perspective and get over the minor discomfort walking into a store or what have you, and you realize that the thousands of healthcare professionals who are actively working on the front line of the, the battle, so to speak, I mean, these guys have masks on their face for you know, eight, 12 hour shifts. So um, perspective is everything. So I think that if you really hone in on, on the big issue and what you can do to help that and stave off the acceleration of it, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that's yeah. It's important. Okay, uh, you being a, a young man and, and moving about on your day, um, what do you observe in your day and moving about? Um, and the comparison is uh, before Corona and uh, now in, I don't know how many months of <clears throat> Corona, you know, how do you, how do you um, really, uh, Give give me a uh, give me your bead on it, your feed on it, your read on it. Um, for the most part, from what I've seen, I've noticed a commonality amongst most people. Um, most people understand that mask wearing and just basic personal hygiene is is inconsequential in a sense that you know we're helping to potentially stop the spread of the virus. And I think most people are okay with that. And I think everyone is kind of eager to get back to a sense of normalcy. We don't know what that is gonna look like on the other side of this, but I think that everyone is is eager to get to that place and willing to do what's necessary to get there. Um, so, well, what, what I it's it's always good, even though the circumstances. It's always good to see people kind of galvanize and you know come together. So, um, if it be a global pandemic that you know, kind of brings people together in a sense, unifying around one cause, then I think there's a, there's a positive to be taken away from that. Okay, um, my mind um, jumps around as you were commenting. The, the protocols from the United States government, the closure of business and you being a businessman, um, how do you feel as you look at both small and large businesses, restaurants and barbershops and nails and um, just our moving around. Uh, how, how do you see, what's your sense on, on our 
our government and those processes. It may fit into something you've already said, but I just thought I just want to pull a little bit more of that out. Yeah, um, I always like to appreciate the duality. Um, there's always two sides to the respective coin. Um, so on a macro level, I mean, there have been grave uh, mistakes made and it's unfortunate that we all have suffered. Um, I think that how the virus had progressed could have, there were, there were protocol in place for a situation such as this. And mm -hmm. I think the current administration um, displayed a lack of leadership in that way. And, you know, we all kind of saw that take place, whether it was on social media or whether it was on whatever news outlet, whatever you feel about the current administration um, has little to do with the fact that the government put protocol in place for situations as this and they were I mean haphazard doesn't even do it justice but they mm -hmm. they definitely mismanaged this from the very very start and I think that had everyone kind of behind the eight ball so to speak in dealing with this situation. So, so now we're playing catch up and United States of America body of Christ I just want to share with you that we are catching up and when I say catching up we're um, we're developing our survival skills that we didn't know we had. We've been in a place of comfort. We've been in a place of running here, running there, jumping on planes. So there's no aspect of life that has not been affected by this current season that we're in. And so, like Gerald said, None of us have seen this before. None of us has lived in a time. I know someone that's 99 years old um, that probably came through the swine flu area when uh, things were going that way. Spanish and, flu. Uh, it was a what? Spanish flu. Spanish flu. See, this, this, is, this is the brain over here. Uh, <laughs> the Spanish flu. And, and yesterday we, I said... We I lived said, through the swine flu. We lived through the swine <laughs> flu. All right. Yeah. So yesterday, I'm even correcting my yesterday, praise God, because I said swine flu yesterday. And my other young person over there, Brother Sam, my engineer, he didn't holler that out because he probably <laughs> caught me in a mistake. Hey, Brother Sam, when you catch me up here and I say something wrong, <laughs> hold up a card or something and uh, help me get corrected, praise God. So it's the Spanish flu. And so from there to here, amen, is has been some adapting. But we, the United States of America, we are a nation that only, how old are we? About five? 236. 236, 240. Yeah. So we um, are, 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 are doing good because uh, we are, amen, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. That's how it's written. But for years, we've seen one nation under God with a lot of injustice. Hallelujah. Uh, for all. Um, and it's time for us, people of God. It's time for us to to step up. Amen. Step up. Uh, yesterday, I 
I I mentioned um, uh, I mentioned a, a writing, amen, and I brought it back. And again, I want to call the, the young man's name because we don't plagiarize. We give honor where honor is due. Um, ben Peterson, amen, Texas A&M, Department of Political Science. Hallelujah. He wrote a, a paper and it's, and it's titled Experts, Politicians, and the Public, The Science, the Art of Collective Decision-Making in a Free Society. And in that, he, he brought up the experts. And the experts would be the academia. Uh, and then, of course, um, he mentioned the, the politicians. And then, of course, uh, we have the public. So we all play a major role in that. The experts can uh, define and, and, and pull up and, and research and present information that will hopefully help us not to duplicate the failures of the past because we've got history. We've got history and then each and every one of us has his story. But talking about history, uh, experts look at and in their comparison, uh, they present information. And the politicians been voted in to uh, use their office to uh, motivate and add to what they received their information and decision process to assist the community. Uh, in the paper, it says even back in the days of, of Athens and uh, Cicero and the emperor, it was designed that there was an accountability factor. So, uh, so stepping off the cliff into this, Gerald, we have experts, we have the politicians, and then we have community. So can you uh, juggle that around and let's see where we end up? So I think that on, on an expert level, I think, again, um, there was a grave disconnect in not only the information, but the veracity of the information. And I think that that's in no small part due to the president and, 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 and how he took things. Um, I think that once they got serious about the virus and how it was spreading um, with a level of uh, rapidity, I, I think by the time they got serious about it, it was kind of already snowballing downhill. And I mean, there's, there's, there's no way to get in front of it and, and now stave it off. So um, I think that it was mismanagement to say the least. And the information that was coming out versus the information that doctors were saying, I think there was just, there was just no unison in the information. And, and as, as a society, you know, it, it's frustrating enough, not really knowing what's happening and, and then being pulled every which way from an information standpoint. I mean, there's, there's no way to, to, to have a sense of calm and comfort you know, because the people that are in control obviously don't know what's happening. So it's, um, 
is a sobering reality. And I think at this point, um, the president-elect, I think he's, he's exhibited a much greater level of care and concern um, than our previous. So as they work on vaccines and possible solutions, I think, I think there's, a, there's, there's a better cause for optimism. Yeah, and so there is a level of uh, fear um, that's been uh, released uh, because from day to day there's so much uncertainty. Um, how, how would you recommend someone of your age and generation um, where I have coined, I hadn't coined the phrase because there's nothing new in the sun. What I've been saying over the past couple of weeks is that fear is a factor, but fear is not the answer. Uh, and the answer is uh, that America must be born again. And uh, out of fear being a reality, because fear is fear basically comes from what you don't know. Uh, and uh, so Talk to me about the fear and the reality of it, but yet working in it where not fear is a factor and you're making decisions from fear. I think um, when you're in situations that there's, there's a level of trepidation of what's unknown, um, scientifically your, your brain loses rational reason-making ability because we're just fundamentally designed to to have those channels turn off as you know part of the fight or flight mechanism so um i think that just working on perspective is key i think perspective is the lens that we view any situation from so i think that happens inside out versus outside in so i mean just judiciously Stay informed, stay apprised to information, but like getting wrapped up in that cycle is, is extremely detrimental because we only can control what we can control. So I think working on continuing to, to self-correct and adjust perspective is probably the best thing someone can do because I mean, if you allow yourself, you know, to get caught up in that cycle, I mean, it's just going to be a cauldron of uncertainty. And, you know, if you're yeah. going to just ab abide in that space, then. So um, the uh, the Bible says that God is not given us a spirit of fear. And Timothy says God is not given to us a spirit of fear, but that of love, love power, and a sound power and a sound mind. And so if we operate from that space of love, power and a sound mind, we should we should land somewhere. Definitely. Definitely. We should land somewhere. Uh, we're uh, I thank God for today and I thank God again uh, for Gerald being here with me. Thank God for uh, Mr. Singh, who designed our wonderful studio and will at some point you begin to see the whole thing. It's just it's just marvelous. We have great plans and uh, thank God for for Sam that's here with me and uh, he will come and uh, make sure that uh, the signal is going out uh, but most of all this 
this place and uh, True Broadcasting Channel with Mr. S- Mr. Cantang uh, and Kissimmee, uh, which has a host of products. You see them always on display. Uh, we have the, um, the, the double espresso and the cappuccino uh, that you there on the table. Cappuccino is basically milk and sugar being added. Um, the espresso is without the cream and sugar. But apart from even the cream and sugar, we're talking about cordyceps and Eltonai and a uh, uh, 75 milligrams of, of caffeine, which designed and taken the proper way, it will just do wonders, amen, for your mental health. Amen. It'll help the process, the cognitive process of, of thought, amen, helping you to be more precise uh, as you go through your day-to-day difficulties. And it will bring you to a point where you feel uh, energized and motivated through that. So if you go to Kissimmee, K-I-S-I-M-E dot com and look at the array of products out there. And uh, we're going to announce very soon another level of motivation. Uh, There are a lot of my fellow clergy people, men who out there that uh, frequent fly in the Cordyx, amen, the uh, capsules to a day, amen, helps keep your cognitive threshold very, very low, uh, keep you right on point too. Uh, but we are going to present, Mr. Cantane and I was talking about it the last couple of days. He's going to release me to let you know what next level he's going into as it relates to all the products across the board. So we're yet working at uh, what we're going to present. And I also want to let you know that uh, the Greater Harvest Church of God in Christ, the Greater Harvest Church of God in Christ is going to become a a pilot and a model for some true virtuality as it relates in dealing with the whole man, mind, body, heart, and soul. Of course, the word of God. That's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And we're talking about effectively and efficiently presenting information that's relative to time and space that will keep you in an emotional place where you are in sync and not out of sync. And last but not least, uh, all the products that we have here that are, are motivated motivate us to a healthy style of living. That's why we're called the living health quality. And last but not least, amen, we're talking about, and it's not not last, praise God. We've got one more after that. Thank you, Jesus. We're talking about the sun ray energy, the sun ray energy that we uh, call uh, PPNP. We call it PPNP for short. But it's um, it's clean, green, affordable energy. And it's a wind turbine. Amen. That works with some dynamics that we've not never even heard of at three point five miles an hour of wind. Amen. This turbine is able to create hallelujah electricity, which the platform that you are pulling and drawing your power from now becomes the secondary platform. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, when you install this and it's available, praise God, it's available to churches. Uh, if you have a, 
a power bill of $1,200 a month for two consecutive months. Uh, the company, the company, Sunray, Sunray Solar Energy will be able to come and establish this in your uh, building, praise God. And it will eliminate your high power bills. Hallelujah. It's compact and a quiet design. It has a industry leading warranty and it's the most efficient generator out there where 18 to 55% of the quality is using. It has an operating efficiency of 96.7%. And then uh, last but not least, amen, we have a disinfectant chamber, a disinfectant chamber. By the beginning of the year, praise God, we'll have one on display uh, in our warehouse. And what it is, you get to walk in, amen, and get disinfected and then go on in. So it'll be available for banks. It'll be available for businesses. It'll be available for churches. Hallelujah. And there's a large, medium, and a small version of it. Praise God. And all these products, all these products will are on display through Kissimmee, K-I-S-I-M-E dot com. So we're thankful for all of the products that are here that help us to move forward. That was my pause and identification uh, for uh, station identification, believing and trusting in God all the way. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for what this day means and thank you for who we are in Christ Jesus. Um, Gerald, we uh, we share a lot. We talk a lot. Um, what can you bring? I'm going to throw out some things because I had given a assignment of I gave it an assignment, you know, a greater harvest and also while streaming live of social dilemma, social dilemma, which is a Netflix documentary that talks about the AI and AI is artificial intelligence artificial intelligence I, I i always interchange the a for something else so i toss it over him artificial intelligence where the artificial intelligence has taken over in such a way and is recreating itself hallelujah and and the problem is uh with it is a mental health problem and um it's coming and stemming from social media um I don't know what you call them. Gerald will know what you call them. Uh, you can go uh, in in social media. I think it's, it's it's the phone part of social media, and you can get something that resembles yourself. You can make a a a, a presence on the internet of an avatar. Yeah, an avatar, and uh, we have young people that uh, designing the avatar. And they're even taking it to the extreme where they who have the opportunity, they're trying to get their natural makeover done to uh, resemble the avatar. And uh, that's not good. Uh, we see that what happens with the artificial intelligence, that what happens is it, it, it takes place of your mental cognitiveness. What I'm saying is the ability to think through some things because artificial intelligence based on what sites you visit based on what you do 
based on how long you hold your phone in your hand, uh, artificial intelligence began to dictate to you. Amen. And it can read and see when the pleasurable side of our brain, the endorphins, when they are excited, praise God, uh, in your hand, it can tell when you're sad, when you're excited by what you're doing, what sites you're visiting. And this is dangerous. Hallelujah. Gerald, what can you tell me about that? What can you say? Um, everything presents an opportunity cost as, as valuable as technology is and, and, and as important as it is. I think the documentary Social Dilemma uh, expressed the pervasive nature um, and when capitalism is the driving component, um, the user has become the commodity. And yes, and um, and a company's objective is 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 to drive profit and and accelerate growth. And like, there's always an opportunity cost with that. And the the benefit that that we receive from it, you know, but I think the documentary really put into perspective that it pales in comparison to the new problems and the new challenges that the capitalization of of attention as currency and how that translates and and all the new challenges that that we're facing as a result of that and the fact that companies don't regulate that and it's just accelerating it and I think that's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, part part of the documentary, the engineers and designers who designed it were saying how out of control that it has gotten. And just like you said, the ability to utilize attention and trans transform that over into currency. Now we're not demonizing. This is this is no demonization to social media or anything, but but if we don't watch it, uh, it can begin to be the source of cognitive control as we know it, because the AI begins to uh, take over, and and at the same mouth in the same breath. It's the social media that's closed the cap, closed the gap on organ donation. You know, it's it's social media that has brought families who had gotten out of touch and out of sync with each other back together. So this is no demonization of it, but this is let's just be aware, uh, parents, that even though uh, our young people are at home, but if they're in their room and just on social media, then what is that social media doing to the thought process of a young person? But then as well as in business and other areas, it's, 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 it's good. But there is no real ethical guidelines that draw a line on how AI is given free reign. So, when we look at things, we're talking about um, we're talking about things like 
the tech industry uh, and how that the tech industry is changing what you do and how you think. You as a young man, your best use of technology comes when and what could be the worst use of it. Well, I, pulling, pulling from the documentary, um, things always start off good and, and, and there's always a benefit, but as I mentioned, there's, there's always an opportunity cost. So I think my, my best use of, of social media is, is the engagement. I think, I think genuine engagement is, is great. Um, but beyond that, I think when, when you find yourself being governed by your notifications and yeah. from, from the documentary, you know, we were able to learn that based on algorithms, very, very precise, complicated algorithms like your device well, the apps once they ask for permission to send you notifications, uh -oh. then, you know, they'll start to dictate, you know, how often you have your phone in your hand or if you haven't been on an app in, you know, an hour or so, they'll send you that notification. <laughs> also, what's, what's funny as someone that uses social media is the phantom notifications. Like, if, if you haven't engaged with an app, like, they'll just put a notification on the app and there's not really a notification there. Just so once you see that notification, obviously you're gonna wanna go what see is what that? the notification is. There's nothing even there, but <laughs> now you're back on the app. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I think that just some self-governess is important mm -hmm. because what we've come to realize is they're gonna continue to, to try to penetrate every aspect of your life. And if you will, if you allow that to go unabated, then they're going to penetrate every aspect of your life. But I think understanding is always half of half of the battle. So now that we have an understanding of it, I think trying to manage and curtail, you know, how often we're using these platforms would, would do us a lot of good. Yeah. So you tapped into now what they did was they, uh, if you remember on the documentary, they had a musician and the art of being a musician taps into a place in our brain where uh, 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 a doctor, a psychiatrist, a, a psychologist, a college professor, professionals, uh, the, we don't literally have access to that. But when you uh, perform magic tricks, it taps into, I made a note, it, it, it taps into, uh, what's it? it? It taps into how that, that part of the mind works. And so behavior change experts, it's, a, it, it's persuasive, what you were saying, persuasive technology and positive intermittent reinforcement which like, like the popcorn commercial before the movie, when you walked into the movie, you said, I don't think I want any popcorn. But then probably in that process, you see it 
and you can smell it. And so what do you do next? Go get popcorn. So uh, in in that fashion, they've taken that go get popcorn sense and just took it to a whole nother level, a whole nother level. So just like you said, the tags and the dislikes, um, if you tag each other in photos, what does that mean? You're you're bringing yourself back for that individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that individual may not have been thinking about you, but you tag that individual with a photo. Then what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So technology is a massive real word behavior, which is uh, harvesting money through data, like you said, and it is it is out of control. Some of the young men and women who are in that place designed it, praise God, they're saying they're having problems, i.e. making sure that they don't overindulge and they're literally uh, trying to wean their families off of uh, the social media technology all the time. Again, this is not demonization. What it is, is just putting some awareness out there. So if you have an opportunity, go view next Netflix. Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Social dilemma. Praise God. So now we're going to move into another area. Uh, If I say reconstruction period, there's been two reconstruction periods in our nation, 1800 to 1878. Praise God. Uh, Those times were reconstruction where the nation had come out of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation and there are some things that were taking place. Praise God. So I'm just going to do something. In 1858, 1858, Senator Governor James Hammond of South Carolina urged that there must be eh, and ways had been a lower class of a lower class or underclass for the upper class and the rest of the society um, to rest upon. Hammond felt that freeing the slaves as a threat to the very foundation of America. Hammond also said that the freeing of slaves would cause whites to do menial tasks and thus the progress of the nation will be halted since dangers were not worth the freedom of slaves. Hammond once said, this reasonable fear, again, that word fear, was held by Hammond and many of his colleagues of the time. This fear became the center of racism and was passed on generation to generation and still is misinterpreted as a hate or dislike for a group of people which could be far from the truth. So fear may force one to act hatefully. Fear may make one grow disdain. However, these acts are only the result of fear. Fear cannot be overtaken with love. It can be erased through education. And so here we have a politician uh, in the 1800s that put forth the thought from him and to his colleagues that if we free the slaves, 
there are going to be some issues. But yet, as we move forward, coming through this, and the slaves were freed, and from the freedom of those slaves in the southeastern corridor of the United States, 126 politicians from the South went to Washington, D.C., and the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments came into place. So when we talk about, if we were to just to talk about that word racism and its spectrum today, um, how have you been affected as a young man? Fortunately, um, my personal experience, um, hasn't hasn't been at, on the scale that that other people have experienced. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you look at racism, it, it, it takes multiple forms and and shapes and sizes. Um, on on one hand, it's 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 hate for person because of what they look like, and on the other hand, it's a disdain. And it's a more elitist, capital-driven mentality. Um, ah, go ahead. So um, I think I think what we've all been familiar with the with the caricature of the prototypical redneck, you know, mindset, yeah, type of racism. But I think um, when you look at it from a political stance you see another form of racism that's always been there but it's 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 more of an elitist mentality so you look at someone that's mexican as as a worker or as a commodity you look at someone that's black as a commodity as a as opposed to not valuing you know, what they can attribute to society as an equal human, but you have an elitist mentality and, and, and you basically think that if someone doesn't look like you, then they're in a position of servitude and, and you're better than them. Um, so I think that that's been something that has come more to the forefront because again, we've always known the prototypical redneck form of racism, but I think now we're seeing elitist, classist racism more prevalent. So class racism meaning that if I'm at a certain level of income or economical status, uh, I want to maintain that status and anything um, below my status is a threat to where I am at. Yeah, yeah. I would look at, I would look at the, the current president as not a just flat out racist in that sense i would look at him as an elitist and 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 that type of racism is is much more sinister because it not only undermines a whole demographic humanity but it also undermines a demographic's ability to to have that upward mobility because my status is contingent upon keeping you in a place of servitude because 
I am an elitist. And in order for me to be elite, you have to be inferior. So I think the economic ramifications of that elitist mentality is 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 much more sinister than uh, yeah you don't look like me so i don't like you you know so that elitist mentality and relate to our current uh, leadership in our nation um the have and the have not mm-hmm. uh but keep it there at the level where you have it, the elitist mentality where you are a threat to my economic economic position uh so uh, when you talk about the relations, I'm, I'm, this is a far stretch here, but, but, but you sparked it. When you talk about the relationship between uh, uh, our nation's leader and Putin, and I say his name right, mm-hmm. they don't agree because of anything but that elitist status. Mm-hmm. And that status of uh, protecting that quote unquote economical position mm-hmm. and which is so, so, so dangerous, which leads into my point that we have got to stop body of Christ looking, standing around as deer in the headlights, kind of like, oh man, what's happening. But when you see these two leaders come together and smiling and shaking of hands, their shaking of hands uh, is from that vantage point of being the elitist. Uh, and we've got to we've got to start walking towards that. How do we how do we look to change and what are you doing as a young man to change? And a follow up question is <laughs> when you look at the church today and what we're doing, how do you think we'll be viewed 40, 50 years from now. I know that's a lot. From, um, I think anytime any one person looks at just the sheer nature of the problems, it's, it's kind of paralyzing because, you know, the common thought process is like, I mean, what am I going to be able to do, you know, as just my one person, but... I think that um, being proactive civically in your own sphere, in your own circle, I think that that momentum that's created um, is is big. Um, Because if you would look at the big problems and think that you couldn't do anything about it in proximity to the size of the problem, like you would be right, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also shifting that, that perspective and, and just focusing on what you can do in your day-to-day life, in your community, um, locally, when it comes to, you know, voting for elected officials and things like that. I think that if everyone had that approach and that mindset, then now we can start looking from, you know, a 3,000 foot overview and you see that small effort just kind of crescendoing and then at that point on every level now you know we can start seeing elected officials that are tapped in to that momentum and now that could possibly be a springboard that you know continues to 
continues that surge. Um, what I'm doing directly, um, I think financial literacy is the biggest thing that that we haven't been taught for a specific reason. Like if you can keep someone degraded and impoverished, then that's how that elitist mentality can continue to thrive. Um, but if we start educating ourselves as a community and understanding, you know, credit and, and how that's managed, um, you know, we've, we've been trained to realize that to be scared of credit because we use credit as consumers as opposed to utilizing, wielding your credit as a tool and leveraging your credit. That's how you make money. I mean, you don't make money just using going to work and paying your bills. Like that's not how you make money. The only way you can make money, not the only way, but since the beginning of time, people have been using other people's money to make more money. But if you can't qualify for other people's money because you don't know how to gain access to OPM, and when we say OPM, we're talking about the bank. Now you're in a situation where you have no ability to you know, pull yourself up by the proverbial bootstraps because you don't have the tools and the resources in place. So um, knowledge is the most important commodity, and then leveraging that knowledge is, 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 is going to be what changes your reality. Um, yeah, track money, not make money. But yeah, I, that was a mouthful. But the main thing is 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 learning the game and 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 playing it. That's, so that's so 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 back on back on the financial literacy and um, the wielding of, of of credit and utilizing it the proper way. Continue on. What have you learned about that? Well, I've been a student in this in this space for for five years. Um, I'm not a pundit by any stretch, but what I do understand is that creating not even just wealth, but financial traction, you have to change the way you've conventionally learned to think about credit in relationship to money and money and just all these different things. And there's 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 been a consumer mindset that we've developed as adults and that consumer mindset is where finance financiers thrive because they make their money off of not extending the credit but they're extending the credit and they're betting on you to be a consumer mm. purchase more than what you can afford and make interest off of you and and that's that's what makes them billionaires. So positioning yourself to qualify for said capital and then being smart with that and using things like interest deferred terms on credit cards and and using things like that as an opportunity to generate some financial momentum and using that credit as opposed to allowing that credit to use you. I think that I think that's that's the that's the main thing fundamentally we have to rethink the way we think about credit and debt, and then we have to put ourselves in position to manage that and 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 learn about stocks and and learn about multiple streams of income and just different things like that, and then now start using that credit to obtain certain certain things. So where is uh, and okay, let's look at. I mentioned the church. Where, where do you see the church in this? Um, 
in, 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 in this place as it relates to what, and I know I'm jumping right now, mm-hmm. where do you see the church as it relates to uh, what is going to be the outlook when 40 years from now they look back and look at the church and what's happening? What, what do you think would, would... If things continue as they're going, unfortunately, I think if, we're, if we look back 40 years from now, we'll see the the church failing to assess the whole man and missing an opportunity to educate the parishioners about credit and and growth and and cuz the church has been a pillar in the community and i think you know educating about the scriptures and you know how to live a god uh, a god-centered life and you know talking about the holy spirit and and memorizing bible verses all these things are are very very great but i think the practical approach to to christianity is is missing because if we look at you know the average the average christian i would say you know they're they're in a financial challenge and and i think that the church already has already has the ear of the community and i think what the church is missing is the whole centered man approach and you know not only not only not only educating the 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 parishioners on the word but you know doing things to teach financial literacy and and not only pressing the fact that hey you should give 10% of your tithes but maybe partnering with different organizations to to educate and and really push financial literacy because that's really what is going to is going to change the divide. I mean, yes, things need to change on a lot of different levels, but I think that educating about financial literacy and and starting that narrative and starting that conversation is something that the body of Christ is is missing. So, how did the church fail the family? Or had the church failed the family? You see family and church how does I failure is a is a heavy word. Okay. So um, I think failure presents finality and like like a nothing else can be like in school. You take a test, you fail. You know what I mean. So failure is a strong word, but I think missing an opportunity. I think they've missed an opportunity for generations to um, you go ahead to to. So to fi- captivate the audience. So financial literacy you mentioned is is one opportunity missed. What else comes comes to your forefront, your mind about opportunity? Mm, I think it. Or what other opportunity? You know, because because your your heartthrob is financial literacy and and um, tracking money and working on credit and things of that nature. So you know how. What other opportunities? Um, From my direct experience, um, I would say, I would say maybe just just a perspective beyond scripture. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I mean, church, church is a big part of, you know, your day, your week. I mean, we were at church, you know, three or four times a week, you know what I mean? So I think preaching is great, singing is great, but I think that there should be a more holistic approach to what's being taught at church, how it's being taught at church, um, because if if those voids aren't filled, then they're going to be filled in other ways. And then the church is just going to be, oh, the church, and this is where I come to fellowship, sing songs, and pray. But I think there's a lot of other things that the church can be providing, um, just from an educational standpoint, um, not necessarily talking about money and stuff like that. But um, and in my experience, I've I've seen... You know, even at our church, you know, there was there was a community-driven approach. So outreach was was something that was valued. Um, so I don't think that mark was missed, but there's just some other holes that maybe the church could fill from an information standpoint. Information standpoint and filling the hole and missing an opportunity. And body of Christ, I tell you, greater harvest, stand by. Body of Christ, stand by. I feel the power of God moving in such a way, uh, going where we are right now. Uh, next year, this time, Greater Harvest, you're not going to be able to identify with where we are today because you're going to look back and say, oh, wow, look what God has done. Because we're going to take every opportunity, every opportunity that we have, and we're going to virtually, virtually utilize the AI and technology. We're going to use the position that the church has always had in the community, a, a place of information relative to time and space. Amen. That we can pre prevent the information so that when it comes time to make an, a decision, that there'll be a panoramic perspective of what can be done. And the Bible said that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we, the church, we must be involved in the political processes, but it really doesn't, we shouldn't get caught up in the fact of who is in the White House. Yes, we must look at the fact that we want someone who's close to our biblical perspectives. And again, we shouldn't allow the DNC or the RNC to be a uh, dividing factor in relationships because we need saints on both sides. We need saints everywhere because the Bible said God left a righteous remnant. When we look through the history of the reconstruction of the 1800s, when we look through the history of the reconstruction through the civil rights, you uh, uh, construct reconstruction period. And when we look at this period now of reconstruction, yes, this period of reconstruction, um, uh, you need to go and pull the message. Yep, this is a preacher advertising another preacher. You need to go pull the message of Bishop Barber, Church of God in Christ Bishop, and him uh, on the Rowan Martin. Roland Martin show and view the reconstruction periods and where we are and who we are as a church. And I said we are as a church because it's going to take every bit of those who follow Christ. Thank you, Jesus.
we are going to have to change the perspective of Sunday mornings if we get an opportunity. Yes, when we get the opportunity. Sunday morning is the most segregated time, <laughs> segregated day of the week because you have different people in different locations doing all kinds of different things. I'm not knocking the assortment of different flavors of worship, but what I am knocking is when that assortment of different flavors of worship becomes a divisive tool in the church and in the body of Christ where we got it all going on and y'all do not. We got to respect each other in our perspective places. And that's when we can run into if my people who are called by my name, because we're all calling and reading from this one Bible and there's no private interpretation to it at all. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, only what we do for Jesus Christ will last. And we got to remember things like what it says in Matthew, that God, Jesus said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. We have the keys to the kingdom. Hallelujah. Satan is the prince of this world, but he's given us the keys to the kingdom. And we have kingdom keys right here on earth, because that's why the scripture goes on to say you can have or you will have, you can choose to have life and that more abundantly. He said, he said, I'm going to provide it for you. I'm going to give you the keys, but they're kingdom keys, kingdom keys. They must be used to open kingdom doors. And there's not only one set of keys. We all have keys and our keys are to open doors for each other. And that's why we've got to stop allowing the divisive, deceptive cunningness of the enemy to rape the body of Christ of the essence of the power of God that's working on the inside of us. So that's why fear is a factor, but fear is not the answer. America must be born again. And how can America be born again? Because America is a symbol. America is, a, is, is an establishment. But each and every one of us is in America within ourselves. And if I look up every day and strive to be born again out of the spirit and not following my human nature, but allowing my human nature, which is important, because the Holy Spirit needs to use the essence of my human nature because God is a spirit. Hallelujah. And we, my hands are his hands. Our hands are his hands. And so he must use us in our humanness, but our humanness must be motivated by the spirit of God. So we must walk in the spirit so we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we must be, we must experience financial literacy, we must experience an opportunity of being committed. We must experience an opportunity of men caring for the women. Hallelujah. We must get to that place where men, we're caring for our children. We need to stop having excuses anywhere, any form, any fashion, and stand up and be the head. And we got to take back all the things that the enemy has perverted. There's a normal use for things and there's an abnormal use. Abnormal use is abuse. Normal use, 
hallelujah, brings forth joy and excitement, normal use, following the biblical prescription of what's normal. Saints of the Most High God, we have got to come together as the body of Christ. Ah, before heaven and its host, I declare and decree unto you that greater harvest is going to take its rightful place and be a virtual leader. Thank God for the partnership that has been formed, hallelujah, with the elitist of the elitist. And we are going to take our rightful place and be the example, be the prototype, be the model of what virtual church is going to look like, which is going to draw, amen, all men, lifting up the name of Jesus. Gerald, I don't know when we'll be together again because you're busy as you're striving forward to uh, continue building your business. Uh, my prayers are with you and always you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you have any closing statements for anything that we've, we've said? Uh, and yes, you may say uh, we've been all over the map, but there's some information relative to time and space. And I believe that God has said something today that's going to stir somebody up. You have any closing? It's always a pleasure to come and, and share and talk and, and, and exchange ideas. And I hope that everyone out there has has heard something that has stimulated or promoted, you know, thought processes to, to, to take action, whatever that looks like in your life, in your time, in your space. Um, and, and, and that's my highest hope. It's always a pleasure. And uh, we'll find some time to get back soon. Father, we thank you for your love, your kindness, your tender, sweet mercy, more precious than silver or gold. As I lift my hands, Father, we're, we're, we're believing God. We're believing you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. As the scripture said, you're all-knowing, all-powerful, hallelujah, and you're everywhere. And so there's nothing in this nation, in this globe, in this city, in this state, no matter where we are, there's no place, no matter how far, there's nothing that we cannot come back from. And Father, we just thank you uh, that failure is a heavy word, but we miss opportunities. And Father, the opportunities that we've missed as the body of Christ individually, personally, and collectively, Father God, I thank you for the energy to be able to reconnect, reunite. And I thank you, Father God, for calm. I thank you for peace. I thank you for miracles every day. I thank you for the miracle of my sister even today, amen, going to receive a report back from the doctor after having a brain aneurysm that she's ready to run a marathon. Uh, God, I thank you that you're yet still the God of miracles. I thank you, Father God, for uh, Elder Lynch and the Lynch family and a time of prayer where we were praying and Father God, the, 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 the miracle. Thank you, Father God, for every time we get to open up our mouths and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we need you. I think I'm thankful for uh, Mr. Black and the Eye on TV Network. I'm thankful for uh, Total Broadcasting Channel. I am thankful for the windows of heaven being open. I am thankful for having keys to the kingdom. Father, help me to utilize my kingdom keys for us to utilize our kingdom keys to open up kingdom doors that the body of Christ, 
Hallelujah. Be edified. Amen. That Satan be terrified and God be glorified. And we thank you this day in Jesus name for living health quality. Greater Harvest, God bless you. Body of Christ, God bless you. We stand today as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Satan put you on notice. The blood of Jesus is against you because higher heights and deeper depths in God, we will, we will in Jesus name accomplish. Thank God and amen. God bless you.